You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. So grateful, so grateful. Um, at this time, we invite our kids to head out to kids ministry. Casey, we love you. Thank you so much for your work with our children. Kids, we love you so much. Can we give them a hand as they head out? Yes. <clears throat> Beautiful. Um, I'm so grateful to, to be in community today. I'm so, so grateful. It's been a long week. And uh, you all are in beautiful voice today. Can you hear the voices when you all sing together? What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Uh, I had a great conversation um, this past week with a dear friend of mine, Dante McCutcheon. And we were talking about um, predominantly, there you go, Alan, there we go. We're talking about, like, is it okay for predominantly white congregations to sing African-American spirituals? And I love what he said. He goes, I love it. I love it. It's better when we sing together. Perfect. I thought it's always better when we sing together, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to hear these voices today. Okay, can we get our alert? Do we have it? Do we have a sarcasm alert? Oh, we don't have it? Okay, there's supposed to be a slide that says, sorry, it's okay. It's not Brianna's fault. Sorry, right. Stephen's fault. Okay, uh, <clears throat> ready? Sarcasm alert, okay? Sarca- this is very important. Sarcasm alert. You know, the hardest part about being Christian is having all the answers. You know, am I right or am I right? I'm right. Thank you. Uh, But to go through this world and to see so many people struggling, asking questions, wondering why, (laughs) looking to science, (laughs) reading books when there's only one book, am I right? I'm right. I have even been to seminary. Um, I have studied divinity. I have seen God under a microscope. Metaphorically speaking, of course, I don't believe in microscopes. Um, but, But the hardest part about being Christian is that daily decision. Do I humble myself and act like I don't have all the answers? Or do I just let my faith flag fly? You're just loving it. <laughs> okay, ready? Sarcasm done. Okay. Sarcasm done. Or is the hardest part about being Christian saying, that's not Christianity. What I see represented as Christianity in the news or on social media or at work or in school, I say, no. That is nationalism. That is white supremacy. That is willful arrogance and ignorance. That is anti-Christ. Have you ever thought or said, I'm not that kind of Christian? It makes me want to shun the term Christian. Call me something that is not so aligned with what is awful and evil. Do you ever feel like the hardest part about being Christian is trying to be clear about what you are not? Hmm. But neither of these views of Christian faith take us anywhere new. 
We stay comfortably in our status quo of what we do and do not believe, and we fortify the walls between us. So let me offer you another possibility. It is not politically partisan. It is not self-righteous, nor is it self-protective. The hardest part about being Christian or following Jesus or whatever you want to call it is learning how to die. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let them say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The hardest part about being Christian is learning how to die. Today's scripture story that Jocelyn read, thank you Jocelyn, today's scripture story is about a radical dying to follow Jesus. And yet, for people who know this story, it might be too familiar to hear. At the start of the story, Saul is a Jewish Pharisee. He's very focused on religious law and on keeping strict adherence to that law. He is about keeping the faith pure. And while there are other Pharisees in the New Testament who are friends of Jesus, like Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, Saul... Saul is vehemently opposed. He wants to stamp out any Jesus followers that he can find. He approved of the killing of Stephen. Sorry, Stephen. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. Um, And now he is spewing murderous threats, hoping to root out any religious deviants in Damascus. And he will put them in prison in Jerusalem. Saul is not a nice guy. This is Saul at the start of the story, and Saul dies. Not mortally, so to speak, but if anyone here knows what it's like to hold hatred and malice and self-righteousness and violence in your heart, then you know it would take a dying for that to change. A dying of patterns of thought a dying of habits of the heart, a dying of the self we were sure we were. This is the hardest part about being Christian, learning how to die. It's not romantic. We should not romanticize Saul's conversion. What does the story say? A light from heaven encircled him and knocked him to the ground. He does not see some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, blessed Jesus advancing on him with sensual sensitivity. He just hears this convicting, commanding voice, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing. Now get up. Go into the city. You will be told what you must do. You see, Saul loses control. He's not in control anymore. He he opens his eyes, but he cannot see. His companions have to pick him up and lead him by hand into Damascus. He cannot see and he does not eat or drink anything for three days. Saul is senseless for three days. That's the traditional time linked with death and burial and with Jonah in the belly of the fish and with Jesus in the tomb. Three days, having encountered Christ, something about Saul 
the hardest part is learning how to die. And something about this other man, Ananias, dies too. Ananias is already a Jesus follower in Damascus, and he is asked to do something against his better judgment and way out of his comfort zone. Ananias has this vision of Christ. Well, that's all good and holy. And Christ tells Ananias to go find this this man from Tarsus who is praying. Oh, well, that's good and holy too. And this man who is praying has seen a vision of Ananias coming and putting his hands on him to restore his sight. Well, this, this all just sounds great to Ananias. Ooh, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> oh, and Ananias, the man's name is Saul. Saul? I don't want to put my hands on him. I don't want to touch that man with a 10-foot pole. That man is bad news, Lord. He goes after people who are different, like me. And pardon my imagination here, but the Lord says, Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But Ananias, get this. Get this. Ready? I've chosen him, Mr. Religious Purity, to go to the Gentiles, to go to the outsiders. he's going to go to the unclean people. Ah! So don't worry. Don't you worry. I'll show him how much he'll have to suffer for my sake. (laughs) Go. And that's how the story goes. Ananias goes and finds this man from Tarsus, and he calls him brother. Brother Saul. The same Jesus who appeared to you on the way sent me here so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly flakes fall from Saul's eyes and he can see. He can see and he gets up and he's baptized and then he eats some food and he stays with the Jesus followers for a few days. And the rest is history. Saul goes from his Pharisaic focus on stamping out religious impurity to opening up God's good news to everyone in the ancient world. He doesn't change his name. He doesn't change his name. But as a Roman citizen who is now focused on reaching beyond the Jewish community, he starts going by his Roman name, Paul. Paul. It's a huge shift in priority. He already had the name, but he claims it now as representative of this shift in priority. He plants churches all over the place. He writes them beautiful letters. And we know, of course, that he was and is endlessly interpreted and misinterpreted. His words have been used for some of the most racist, misogynistic, and homophobic ideologies out there. And his words have inspired some of the most inclusive, empathetic, boundary-breaking work in our world. For Christ is our peace. He has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us, creating in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. 
and would reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, putting to death that hostility through it. Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Look at that. Look at that. That is a far cry from spewing out murderous threats against the other. That is a far cry from seeking to imprison religious deviants in Damascus. Something extraordinary happened on the road to Damascus. Something like death and resurrection. It's the hardest part about being a Christian. So what does this story mean for us? Well, first, it's a reminder of the stakes. It's a reminder of the stakes. This Jesus thing is no joke. Look, we can all get comfy and settled and self-righteous in church, in work and school and at home, but we are called to so much more, y'all. We are called to so much more. In Christ, we encounter someone who calls us by our name and calls us to change our hearts and lives. We got to be about that. In Christ, we are knocked to our knees like Saul, humbled and blinded, yet we are given visions of new and healing relationship. In Christ, we are sent to our enemies like Ananias was, and yet we are tasked with greeting them as brother, sister, sibling, extending our hands for healing. What happens in this story changed the ancient world. And if we, if we are longing for such holy transformation in our world today, then let us learn to humbly call on the Spirit of Christ. How can we do that? Well, we're going to learn a song in a few minutes. It's a song that helps to put us in a place of humility like Saul eating dust on the road to Damascus. I can't wait to sing it with you. Second, second, this story offers us a different name for church. I know that some of us, myself included, struggle with names like church and Christian. We get stuck on, but not that. And we get distracted doing that. Well, here is something that I find helpful. In this story, Saul is going after persons who belong to the way. The way. That was the first name of this thing. Before it was called church and before anyone was called Christian, we were followers of the way. Fans of the Mandalorian are in ecstasy right now. Now, Stephen and I suggested this as our new church name to our church councils, and they totally shot it down. <laughs> and they were right. They were right. But what I find meaningful is this reminder that from the get-go, church was about a way of life more than a system of belief. Okay? Church was about a way of life more than a system of belief. Before the Nicene Creed and the Vatican Councils and the Books of Discipline, people followed the way of Christ. And after 15 years of pastoral ministry, can I say something that may sound kind of strange? Are you ready? And before I say this, 
Please know, as a pastor, as your pastor, as one of your pastors, I will love you as best as I can. So if this is disturbing, if this is, raises questions for you, please talk to me because I love you and I want us to do this thing together, right? Can I share something weird with you? Oh. Especially coming from someone tasked with spiritual formation. This is going to sound weird. I don't really care what you believe about Jesus. I don't really care. I used to wrestle with my own belief and unbelief. Do I believe enough? Why don't I have the right beliefs? Do I have the right beliefs? And the older I get, the less important I realize my beliefs are. Because I don't know that Jesus particularly cared. The good Samaritan was not good because he believed in Jesus. The good Samaritan was good because he saw in his neighbor the image of God and took care of him. In our story today, Saul was baptized not because he made a statement of faith. There is no statement of faith in this story. But he was baptized because he was changing his life to follow the way. Because he changed his life. Not this, his life. As for us calling ourselves church or Christians, I don't really care. I'm at a place in my life where I totally claim those things back from some evil clutches in our nation. It's important to me. But what I really care about for us is that we follow the way. That's the hardest part. That is learning how to die so that we and so that the world can live. That's what I care about. Which brings me to the last takeaway from this story. Can we learn to die together? Can we learn to die together? Like Saul, like Ananias, can we give up ourselves for the life of the world? Three opportunities. First, after worship today, we're going to talk about our LGBTQ reconciling statement created by a collaborative team in our community. Thank you, Reverend Jonathan Fuller and the team who worked on this. This puts us on denominational maps as a fully LGBTQ-affirming church. This says to the world of church, this is who we are. This is not just putting a rainbow banner out front. This is... No, really. Give up 30 minutes. It might feel like dying. But give up 30 minutes. Stay after worship. Join the conversation. Second, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about our church community being asked to support a family in Afghan refugee resettlement. Well, the Masamim family has moved to Richmond. And I spoke with Masood on Friday. And he and his wife and two-year-old daughter are getting situated and we can start supporting them with furniture and with a few months' rent while he finds a job. We can do that. Who's in? All right? Second, on Saturday, November 19th, we're going to team up with some AME Zion churches for a warm winter clothing drive and grill out in Gilpin Court. Gilpin Court is Richmond's oldest and largest housing project. And we will start collecting new coats and winter gear and we will collaborate across, from, across some denominational and racial lines. And I know that giving up a few hours on a Saturday can feel like dying. But hey, it is the way. It is the way. We are a community built around a way of life, not a system of beliefs. 
Let us be named and known for being fully LGBTQ embracing, for supporting an Afghan refugee family, for working with partner churches in guilt and court. Let us be known for the way. Let us be known for the way that leads to life.